0: Trigger warning, this podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world. Episode 1, Part 1, Gods and Monsters. It's the morning of June 6, 2022 the sun slowly rising above Lake Erie, filling the drab, gray sky with a tinge of burnt yellow. Titiana, Tia, Johnson, has been awake for the last hour, sitting on the edge of her bed, staring out of her favorite bedroom window. Her eyes squint in discomfort as she shifts her position. She huffs to herself before hurriedly standing up and rushing to her door. She takes a few steps down the hall from her bedroom to the bathroom where she barely makes it. The second she lands on the toilet seat, a heavy stream flows out, her breath rapid and anxious. Titiana, better known as Tia, has been doing her best to stay out of the house's bathroom as much as she can, unless it's absolutely necessary. She washes her hands, maintaining eye contact with the water below her, afraid to look into the mirror above the sink. The sky outside becomes a little brighter, illuminating the off-white tiles on the floor. Tia accidentally sees her own reflection, causing her to jump back with surprise. Tia is a no-nonsense type of gal, and this hiccup causes her to slam her foot into the cabinet under the sink. She cries out for a moment before giving in to the sorrow that's overtaking her, her legs weak, she kneels in front of the cabinet. There are three slide-out drawers on this cabinet, and the first one she opens has a slew of hair gel, a very old can of hairspray, too many bobby pins to count a hair straightener, and a blow dryer. Tia's eyes fixate on the blow dryer. She keeps the drawer open as she slides herself towards the bathtub inches away. She pulls up the stopper and begins running a bath. While she stares down at the water filling up her tub, her warm brown eyes lose their vibrancy. On any other given day, Tia's eyes always seem to invite interesting conversations, even when she clearly isn't into it. Her kindness is apparent to everyone, It's bewitching and makes people feel like they can tell her their entire life story on day one, while others see her transparent kindness and try to take advantage of her, like asking for money or cutting in line. Tia has an athletic build despite never being into athletics, like, not even a little. Her chocolate brown skin perfectly complements her quiet brown eyes. Tia is the shy, silent type. Everywhere she goes, she often doesn't say a word, And for some reason, this makes people assume that she is a refugee. And she finds this quite insulting considering she speaks perfect English. Tia scratches the top of her full thick black hair, her braids loose. She stops scratching when she realizes she's on the floor and quickly gets up. The tub is full now, only mere inches away from overflowing onto the tiles. Tia grabs the hairdryer from the open drawer and plugs it in on the outlet above the sink. She's careful not to glance at herself this time as she turns on the blow dryer. It's loud and blaring, competing with the sounds of the water rapidly filling the tub. Tia walks over to the bath. The only sound is the whirring of the blow dryer in her hand. She gingerly places one full leg into the tub, some of the water now spilling out onto the floor. Tia steals a final glimpse of the bathroom floor in front of the toilet, her eyes filling up fast with tears.
1: I'm so sorry I couldn't save you,
0: Tia thinks to herself. She starts to lift her other leg into the bathtub, but she stops when images of Kiki, her longest and closest friend, pop into her mind. She hesitates, clarity filling her mind and body, the sound of the blow dryer whirring like a giant wind tunnel. No, I can't
1: do this. I won't. I have to help prevent more needless deaths. I have to keep
0: trying. What is wrong with me? Get up, Tia, get up. Just as Tia shifts to move her leg out of the overflowing tub, she is suddenly engulfed in total darkness. Miles away from Tia, on this very same morning, roughly 17 minutes before 6 a.m., Rose, Rio, Smith, is wide awake as well. Her small bedroom has no windows, but seeing the time on the clock, she knows it's just now getting light outside. Rose turns on her bedroom light, and it's an overwhelming amount of blast from the past. The walls are littered with as many 80s posters as one could possibly fit in such a cramped space. While the wall hosts photos of Depeche Mode, the Go-Go's, the Cure... Cocteau Twins, Thompson Twins, Animotion, and several pictures of the Smiths. No other band taking up Rose's Wall could compare to Duran Duran. They dominated the wall, and clearly Rose's heart. Rose's nickname, Rio, is a direct nod to her all-time favorite band. But on this early summer morning, not even Duran Duran could cheer Rio up. She quickly gets dressed, throwing on a colorful pair of leggings and her Louder Than Bombs t-shirt. Rio has porcelain white skin and dyed platinum blonde hair. At a quick glance, one could easily assume she's albino, but her eyes tell a whole other story. Her round face hosts distinct facial features that are complemented by her always rosy pink cheeks and her forest green eyes. When someone really sees her, there is a hidden sadness that even her autopilot smile can't hide. In less than 10 minutes, Rio is laying on her favorite railroad tracks in the city. She walks often, and on a few bold days, she's even followed these tracks for hours, just to see where and how far they go. She sees the sun peek through the overcast clouds looming above her. The train whistle sounds about two miles away. Rio lays still on the railroad tracks, trying not to be seen by anyone. Her body convulses with the tracks, her entire being shaking as the train barrels towards her. The shadow of the train consumes her, gaining momentum while trying desperately to stop. On hearing this horrific screeching, the grinding of metal, Rio's heart starts to pump harder, her body more aware and awake than possibly ever before. What the fuck am I doing? I can't do this to Anita! And what about Hugh? What would he think? Ryo bends her legs to assist her in getting up, but she struggles to move. It's as though an invisible force is holding her down, keeping her glued to the tracks. The train is about 30 seconds away, and as it screeches closer, Rio screams as her world goes back. <laughs> right around 4.30am, a little over an hour before we meet our protagonists, the two women, who have never met, both had gotten out of bed to put pen to paper. They didn't feel they had much, if anything, left to live for. Grief had become the only emotion Tia could feel, and Rio's long battle with depression was taking a turn for the worst. Tia grabbed one of her many journals she writes in, while Rio chose an empty page of the lined paper on her fridge, intended for to-do lists or what's needed at the store. They were private in their despair, but they wanted to make sure their thoughts were explained. They didn't want anyone to blame themselves for their choices. Tia began with
1: to Kiki, my best friend, and anyone else who finds this. I wish things in my life had worked out differently. I wish I could forget finding my mom's body. I wish I could stop feeling her cold flesh against mine when I tried to resuscitate her. I wish we lived in a world where people mattered more than profit and that the poorest of us didn't have to always be the ones forced to take the greatest risk. She was already sick, but I believe she could have gotten better. She was everything to me, and I don't know how to go on without her. I just, I just don't.
0: Mere miles away, Rio started her note with, My dear Anita, you have been the mother to me when I needed her most, and I could never thank you enough for all the sacrifices you've made to take care of me. But now it's time for you to live your own life and be free of me and the burden I've been for the last 17 years. I'm angry at myself for wasting so much time thinking about my parents and all the reasons they didn't want me. Instead, I should have been focused on how much I had with you and how good you've always been to me. I love you so much, and I'm so sorry I can't be stronger for you. Tia gripped her pen tighter, the pen becoming warm, her heart weary as she gave it a quick click. Ria stopped fighting her tears, a droplet blurring at the end of Anita's name. Both women signed their notes before walking away, each step more painful than the next. Two weeks ago, Tia's mother passed away. Mrs. Johnson could easily be described as compassionate, hard-working, loyal, and pretty much most positive adjectives you could think of would be appropriate. With a rich, espresso skin tone and a smile that seemed to embrace everyone around her like a warm hug, it was evident to anyone that Mrs. Johnson was Tia's mother. The only thing different between the two women was that Mrs. Johnson had developed defined wrinkles on her forehead and crow's feet under her eyes. She wanted Tia to have the best life she could give her, and Tia knew all the sacrifices her mother had made over the years. Mrs. Johnson was everything to Tia, and even to Tia's best friend Kiki. They were the ultimate three amigos, and together they knew they could do anything they set their minds to. The beginning of winter the year before, Mrs. Johnson suddenly started not feeling well. Tia witnessed her mother's health rapidly declining and accompanied her to most of her doctor visits. Each doctor was more unhelpful than the next. They were overwhelmed by COVID and a burnout Tia could empathize with. Though, as more time came and went, Mrs. Johnson was still not properly diagnosed, and Tia felt an anger and a sadness growing. When her mother fought through the pain and worked her long days, Tia escaped to the Blasco library not far from her house to look for answers. If the doctors weren't going to help her mom, she felt it was up to her. For months on end, Tia studied every small detail from every medical journal and book she could get her hands on. She never told her mom where she went every day, but Mrs. Johnson could see that her daughter was also in pain. Tia held her mother's hair back when she got sick, cooked meals for her every night, did all the chores to keep their house as neat and as tidy as possible. They may have been poor, but at the end of the day, the Johnsons took pride in the home they had. It was not a perfect house. The ceiling leaked every now and then, the siding was beginning to come off, and the lights in the basement never worked, even after all the electricians and repairs. But this was home. Kiki and Tia were best friends, though Tia always thought of her mother first when she thought of her best friend. She would never tell Kiki this, but her mother knew. Their bond was inseparable. Tia's father had died before she was old enough to even remember him, so the two Johnsons have relied on each other ever since. Around the middle of February, Tia began picking up shifts at the laundromat a few blocks from her house. It was a cold and rainy day in May when Tia briskly made her way home. Once in the house, Tia hung up her rain soaked hoodie and called out to her mother. She saw her mother's car parked in the driveway and was surprised she was already home. Mom! Tia called out. Tia walked through the living room into the kitchen. When she didn't see her mother there, she headed upstairs. Mom! Tia said again, this time with more concern in her voice. Tia went to her mother's bedroom and then to her own, and still couldn't find her mom. She saw the bathroom door was open halfway, and no lights were on. Mom? Tia pushed open the bathroom door and cried out. She turned on the light to find her mother on the floor, her body still. Tia collapsed beside her mother. She began to shake her, hoping she had just been too tired and had fallen asleep. Mom! (laughs) She cried, tears beginning to fill her eyes. Tia embraced her mother and felt that she was cold. Several days ago on June 1st, Rio had come home from the local small business she's proudly worked at for two years, Hugh's Music and Collectibles. Hugh was Rio's favorite new place when she first discovered it, and it's the only job interview she's ever had where she got hired on the spot. Rio's boss, Hugh Kirby, had been winning her heart over for the last two years. Hugh was a handsome guy. He was pale like Rio, and he had the bluest eyes she had ever seen. He had dark chocolate brown hair that contrasted perfectly with his light skin and light eyes, and his chiseled chin didn't quit. What added to his good looks was the always-present midnight shadow surrounding his full lips. There was something mysterious about him. Rio's intuition was usually right. She felt there was a lot more to uncover about her boss, and she looked forward to every minute of it. Hugh was in his mid-forties, and lately his attempt to hide his age hadn't been working too well. The gray hairs clearly wanted to win the battle, and it was fairly obvious to Rio, and most people that met Hugh, that his gray hairs hurt his pride. With Rio nearing 30, she had no issue with the age difference between them. Actually, Rio has always had a pension for older men. Her feelings for Hugh had only been getting stronger, and she was ready to be her bold self. All she needed at this point was a confidence boost. So when Rio arrived home at her trailer, where she and Anita had lived together for nearly two decades, she was shocked to see a slew of Anita's things missing. Panic overwhelmed Rio. (sighs) There were no secrets between Anita and Rio, and coming home to such an empty trailer made Rio's heart sink. Rio has already lost both of her parents, except neither of them are deceased. Rio's father had never been in the picture, and when Rio was in high school, her mother had run off with some guy to go live in Vegas. Rio would have been placed in the foster care system, but her neighbor, Anita Martinez, took her in. With dark brown hair and dark brown eyes to match, Anita's curvy frame and vibrant smile had always made Rio felt loved. In fact, it was Anita who started calling Rose Rio. Anita and Rio quickly formed a maternal bond, and they've lived together ever since. Rio carefully looked around the trailer to see if Anita left a note. When she couldn't find one, she called and texted Anita, needing to understand what was going on. The only thing left in their living room was the couch and TV. Most of the kitchen had been cleared out, and Anita's closet was nearly empty, with the exception of a few outfits. Her bed was still in place. Rio continued calling, worried that something awful had happened to her beloved Anita. After about 20 minutes from the first phone call, Rio heard a car pull up out front. She opened the door to see Anita driving a beautiful classic car, a 1957 mint green Thunderbird. Rio would usually be thrilled to see such a treasure, if she knew it didn't belong to Anita's current boyfriend, Tony. Tony was a balding man who made it strikingly clear from day one that he did not like Rio, only because Rio was like a child to Anita, and he wanted Anita all to himself. Rio has told Anita time and time again that Tony's cars are the only personality he has to offer, which always makes Anita laugh. Rio, my love, how are you? Rio raced over to Anita as she got out of the car and embraced her, causing both women to teeter back before standing straight again. My, what's wrong? Are you okay? Rio did not say anything. She gently tugged Anita's arm and guided her inside their trailer. Even Anita seemed surprised by all the missing items. Have we been robbed? Rio asked, genuinely worried, but more so angry if someone stole from the very little the two women have. Anita shook her head. No, I'm sorry, Rio. Tony and I have been talking about living together. I told him I needed some time to think. That I wanted to talk to you about it. But she looks around, assessing the room. He really went ahead on his own. This isn't how I wanted any of this to go. Rio nodded, trying to wrap her head around the thought of her and Anita no longer living together. Anita continued to talk about the new development, but Rio's mind could not focus. Even though she was almost 30, she still didn't want to live alone. She hated being alone. Growing up with the mother she had, she was always left alone. Abandoned. She needed Anita, but felt she was being selfish. So what if Anita decided to give living with Tony a real try? Although Tony didn't live far... It was a big change for the two women. Anita ended up deciding to give it a go since he was the first man she had been serious about in a long time. Anita made sure to check in on Rio often, but with each passing day, the trailer felt emptier, and Rio never got to have the girl chat she so desperately needed to help work out her feelings for her boss. Rio knew she had to grow up, but she sincerely didn't know how. As the darkness fades into light, Tia squints hard to see and is immediately overwhelmed by the sheer amount of people staring at her. She gulps hard, with half the enormous crowd before her giggling to themselves while the others in the audience stared at her with obvious awe. Tia glances around and realizes she's standing on a large stage in front of a microphone and is wearing a stunning gold dress. There are no cards in her trembling hands and out of the corner of her eyes, she can see her face plastered on the giant screens that accompany her on stage. Her eyes bulge wide when she reads the header on the first note card. My Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. Tia clears her throat. throat) A light tap on her shoulder causes Tia to jump, again making a good half of the room cackle with delight. Miss Johnson, everyone is waiting to hear what you have to say. Doesn't have to be a long speech or anything. We all just want to know more about you. An older man with finely trimmed gray hair and thick black glasses tells her. He smiles at her before bending down slightly, saying, Miss Johnson is so honored she's speechless. The crowd goes wild, clapping encouragingly at Tia. Tia does her best to hide the next big gulp she takes before reading her note cards to the audience below her.
1: Before I turn 30... I watched my mother's health decline right before my eyes. We saw almost every doctor we could afford to try and get her the help she needed. It was a long and constant uphill battle that unfortunately, my mother did not win. When I saw this defeat, it made me angry. I was angry at the doctors who failed her, and I was angry at the world that refused to listen to my poverty-stricken Black mother, who expected to receive the same care as everyone else. I knew I had to do something with this anger. We could never afford college, but that didn't stop me from learning. Every day I could, I went to my local library and studied. I studied biology in order to understand the human body. I studied chemistry to understand medicine. It took many years. And when I finally thought I discovered something, I was met with disbelief and contempt. Tia's mind is racing. Uh, when did all this happen? How old am I? What the hell is going on? She pinches herself. Mm. Okay, I'm not dreaming. Mm, No,
0: not okay. How is this not a dream? The room eerily quiet, Tia sees the crowd waiting patiently for her to finish her speech. Tia clears her throat. throat. Again.
1: Let's get this over with. Maybe once I'm done talking, I'll wake up. Maybe it's just a deep sleep. Yep, a deep sleep. That's what it is. This contempt only fueled my anger, an anger that never left me. So I continued fighting for myself and this cure, I believe could save millions. Finally, after nearly another year of trying to share my findings with the world, I was able to reach an international audience, a country where pharmaceutical companies do not have all the power. And now, thanks to my belief in myself, science, and generous people like you who want the world to be a better place, I have discovered the cure for both type
0: 1 and type 2 diabetes and cancer. Tia's mouth is wide open, reading her last few words again and again in her head. I did what now? Oh my god. Tia's thoughts are interrupted by the roaring crowd and the standing ovation she's receiving right before her eyes. I have discovered the cure for diabetes and cancer? I
1: have discovered the cure for diabetes and cancer? Tia's voice
0: raises several octaves on reading these last few words. If this is a dream, it's the best one I ever had. Tia blinks and is now seated at a long table with at least a dozen other people, all intelligent looking and seemingly friendly. The man next to her speaks Chinese to the woman sitting across from her and the woman beams, nodding and taking a sip of the champagne glass in her hand. This same man turns to Tia and says, This reality really suits you. Unsure if she heard him correctly, Tia says, I'm sorry? The man politely nods, much like the woman across from her, and Tia quickly excuses herself. She needs to be alone. Whatever is happening is happening way too fast. She rushes away to find a bathroom. As soon as she turns away from the large table, she's staring at her reflection in the swankiest bathroom she's ever seen. She jumps at the sight of herself, clearly at least a decade older than what she was this morning. Tia takes a deep breath, trying not to panic. She hears the door open and sees what looks like her idol, Rebecca Lee Crumpler, walk into the bathroom. Dr. Crumpler is accredited as the first black woman to earn her medical degree to practice medicine in the United States. When the two women see each other, the Crumpler figure comes over and stands right next to Tia, staring and talking to Tia's reflection in the mirror. Wouldn't it be great if this was your life? She asks Tia, never taking her eyes off Tia's reflection, who stares straight ahead. Tia nods, watching this woman who's been deceased since 1895.
1: What is happening? Am I
0: dreaming? Not exactly, Crumpler replies. But everything that just happened. All these positive feelings you're having could all be your reality. Tia studies the woman for a moment, still trying to understand. What do you mean
1: this could be my reality? This doesn't make any sense. There's no way I slept through a decade of my life. Ah,
0: I see. Someone like you needs logistics, right? Tia nods. Here's what you need to know. You have a choice coming up. And this is the life you'll have if you choose correctly. Choose what? What am I choosing? As long as you choose death, then you'll be rewarded. Only in death will you find this kind of happiness. The happiness someone as smart and kind as you deserves. Tia's eyes go wide. She turns to the woman standing next to her, wanting to look at her face, needing to see how real this reality is.
1: Am I already dead?
0: The Rebecca Lee crumpler figure laughs, a mean-spirited cackle that makes its mouth appear larger than the head it's on. Tia begins to back up, her eyes never leaving this thing that's turning into something otherworldly. You're not dead yet, but you should be. Why wait to have the best life possible? You do want to die, don't you? Isn't that why you're running the hairdryer over the overflowing tub? Tears begin to escape from Tia's eyes, leaving streaks through the blush on Tia's face. She shakes her head. Oh, come on. I think we both know what's going to happen if you don't put yourself out of your misery. Do you think racism is going to get better? Do you think anything you do is actually going to matter to the world? Because I have news for you. People don't change. Things are only going to get worse. And not just for you, but for everyone. Tia continues shaking her head. Why me? The crumpler figure laughs again. (laughs) Yes, my favorite question. Why me? Everyone always asks that. People are so desperate for validation. Her hideous smile forms into a menacing scowl as she corners Tia, getting so close to Tia that Tia can smell a foul odor, like sulfur, coming from this being. But you know something? You are special, Tia. You're a good person with a beautiful soul. You are a rare find these days. I apologize for being so crass with you. I'm not used to your special type of person yet. But I hope to be soon. I think we'd get along great, don't you? Tia forces herself to nod, the smell becoming overpowering. Good, the crumpler figure says with a soft grin. Now... The quicker you get back to us, the quicker you can start living the life you were always meant to. And as soon as the last word is out of the figure's mouth, Tia is in her own bathroom again, the water rushing underneath her feet, the hairdryer hot and loud in her ear. With a scream, Tia yanks on the hairdryer's plug as hard as she can, removing it from the socket. She hurriedly turns off the running water and tosses her hairdryer back into the open cabinet before slamming it shut. She glides on the water-soaked floor before running out of the bathroom and into the hallway, trying to wrap her head around what she just experienced. A teasing sunbeam causes a sound asleep Rio to stir. She stretches quietly, until it dawns on her that her own bedroom doesn't have any windows. How is sunlight getting in here? Her eyes open suddenly, her breath quick. She peeks at her surroundings and discovers she's on a bed that's at least three times the size of her own bedroom. The walls are lush with purples and pinks, the sheets luxurious and silky, the pillows large and fluffy. As Rio continues to study the bedroom she woke up in, she sees a large photo of her in a wedding dress and her groom. No, it couldn't, it couldn't be. be. This has, has to be a dream. Dream, dream, dream. Rio slaps herself in the face she glances around. Everything is still the same. The bed and walls remain the same, as does the photograph, the largest piece of decor in the room. Rio stares at it, the small grin on her face growing to a larger-than-life smile, making the sun shining in from outside seem irrelevant. Simon LeBon, lead singer of Duran Duran, has his arms around Rio, his eyes gazing at her with love and desire. Rio carefully looks beside her, and sure enough, Over her right shoulder, she sees him lying next to her, still sleeping. She lets out an excited, Yup! And in response, she slaps her hands over her mouth to keep her from full-on stadium cheering. Simon's eyes flutter awake, and as soon as he sees Rio gawking at him, he beams. Good morning, my love. Rio takes her hands off her mouth. Her mouth hangs open, her eyes twinkling in delight and disbelief. Uh, uh, I'm... "'Your love?' she asks, her eyes becoming as wide as her open mouth. Simon starts to laugh. <laughs> "'Who else would I be talking to?' Simon quips back. If there's any one verse in Duran Duran history, it was Rio, who slowly says, "'Yasmin?' "'You mean my ex-wife, Yasmin?' Simon replies, his body shifting to sit up. As he moves, he embraces Rio, pulling her towards his naked chest. You seem confused this morning. Are you feeling all right? Rio laughs nervously, <laughs> trying to make sense of this fantastic situation. Uh, I, I think my memory is a bit foggy today, so let me make sure I'm remembering correctly. You and Yasmin are divorced. Were... <sighs> married. Um... "'What about your daughters?' "'My grown children have all been out of the house for the last couple of years. "'Rio, my beautiful Rose, what's gotten into you today?' "'Rio playfully shrugs. "'Amnesia?' Simon heartily laughs at Rio's remark, softly squeezing her before planting a kiss on her forehead. "'Well, then, you're in luck. "'I have just the fix for that sort of thing,' he says.' as he leans in and kisses her lips. Rio can feel her heart pounding, her cheeks turning from their usual pink to a bright red. She doesn't think about the logistics, or how she got here with her all-time favorite singer. She kisses him back, and the two embrace, sheets flying and gratifying moans aplenty. About an hour later, a happily disheveled Rio gets out of bed, her hands caressing the softer-than-satin nightgown she's wearing, her mind and body full of wonder. This is the nicest material I've ever felt, she thinks for a second, before her mind begins bombarding her with feedback on her lovemaking session with THE Simon Le bon. Rio's being could be floating on a cloud, her body and mind having never been this happy and at peace. Simon finishes getting his pajamas on and goes to open the bedroom door. Several adorable pug dogs run in, thrilled to see their beloved parents. Simon dotes over them, and Rio follows suit. The pugs' eyes bulging out of their tiny heads, they jump up and down, their entire bodies eager to be loved. After a few solid belly rubs, Rio realizes that Simon must have exited the bedroom. She gives each dog one more affectionate pat before heading out as well. There's a long hallway that appears to go on forever. Rio shakes her head, waiting for the illusion to fade. The long hallway remains the same. As she tiptoes away from the bedroom door, she notices there are pictures lining the walls. A few more wedding day photos show her and Simon sharing cake, dancing, and one where she's sitting in a chair while Simon stands over her, singing into a microphone at her. There's a picture of the two of them standing in front of a mansion, and Rio wonders if that's where they currently are. Another picture shows Rio and Simon and the rest of the band, Nick, John, Roger, and they all look like they're having a great time in what appears to be a large backyard garden. The further Rio walks, the more she realizes she has no memory of any of this happening. She has no idea how she and Simon met. She has no recollection of meeting the rest of the band. A moment she knows deep in her heart she could never forget unless there was something truly wrong with her. And she thinks that Simon looks a lot younger than his actual, current age. Not just in the photos, but when she was with him in the bedroom, too. At the end of the long hall, there's a closed door. She opens it expecting to find stairs, but instead, she finds herself back in the bedroom. What the hell? How did this happen? I don't remember turning around, she thinks. Before she can get a grasp of the situation, she feels a hand on her shoulder, making her jump and cry out. Are you mental? Simon asks in a teasing tone. Ryo carefully sits down on the edge of the bed, her breathing becoming heavy and deliberate. Simon, or rather, the figure that looks and sounds like Simon the Bond, moves so that their legs touch. He stands there, towering over her, looking down at her, his happy-go-lucky expression changing before her eyes into something devious. Don't you wish you could be here with me forever? Rio's eyes narrow. She starts to lose the heavenly glow as reality sets in. She has always been well-versed in the fact that if something appears too good to be true, it usually is. None of this is real. Is it? Oh, everything is real. But you have to make a small sacrifice in order to keep it. In order to keep us, he says, holding out his hand. Rio cautiously takes it, gripping what looks like real flesh but what feels like sandpaper. Rio lets go, confused, watching the figure looming over her. What sacrifice? she asks him, her voice quivering. The figure that looks like Simon kneels down. Their faces now level. All you have to do is give up your soul. It's a small sacrifice for a lifetime of happiness. Give up my soul? You mean die? As soon as the word die escapes Ryo's lips, she remembers the feel of the steel tracks on her bare arms, the sound of the train whistle blaring. Wait, am I dead? Is this heaven? The Simon figure winces, crying out in pain.
1: We don't don't use that that word here.
0: He yells, his face becoming harsher, his blue eyes glowing red. They can't keep all the good ones to themselves. When we take over, people like you will be begging to be on our side. You haven't been to to decide. A large puff of thick black smoke fills the room, causing Ryo to cough. She sees a cloudy gray sky and her body shakes. She turns and sees the train barreling towards her, her eyes widening as she screams, jolting upright. The train is only seconds away as Thrio throws herself off the tracks. Rio can feel the force of the train, the train's whistle deafening as she scrambles to move away from the tracks. As soon as she's far enough away from the sound and the pull of the large vessel, Rio struggles to catch her breath. Tears fall freely while her heart remains caught in her throat. Tia lays down a few large towels to soak up the water that overflowed from the tub. She keeps the towels on the floor, ready to be out of the bathroom. She hears the sound of the front door open, followed by Kiki calling her name. Up here. Tia yells back, hurrying out of the bathroom and closing the door behind her. Kiki is halfway up the stairs when the two best friends see each other. What were you doing? Were you sleeping? Kiki asks, looking her friend over before the two instinctively hug. What do you mean? Tia answers with her own question, confused. Kiki gives Tia a once-over glance again. You messaged me, saying you couldn't sleep. I asked if you wanted me to come over, but you never answered. And that's not something you ever do. You always answer. I figured something was wrong. I was worried, so I made my way over, Kiki tells her matter-of-factly. Tia's mind reels just from the thought of her otherworldly dream. Her entire morning felt unexplainable and seeing her friend eager to help her made her feel ashamed that she would even attempt to end her own life. She couldn't understand what had happened, but she just assumed it was a guilty conscience. Wanna walk to the lake with me? Tia asks Kiki. On their way to the lake, the pungent aroma of the waste plant before the lakefront causes both women to gag in disdain. Jesus Christ, it's usually not this bad, Kiki remarks. So, now that we're breathing in shit, did you want to tell me what's on your mind? Kiki asks. Tia forces a smile, not knowing what to say. Ever since her mom passed away, Tia hadn't felt like herself. This morning was clearly no different. She missed her mom so much it hurt her heart to think about her. She could feel Kiki's eyes studying her, worrying about her best friend. Kiki was like the sister she never had. In the pale sunlight that pokes through the dark gray clouds, Kiki's chestnut-colored skin had an ethereal glow, giving her soft features and full lips a vividness that made even Tia take pause, appreciating the natural beauty of her dear friend. Kiki's skin tone complemented her long black hair, which she always wore in braids. It's not until Tia realizes that Kiki's giving her a what-the-fuck look for her to reply. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kiki sighs, stopping mid-stride and standing in front of Tia, causing Tia to almost run right into her. I asked you a few minutes ago, what's up, and you still haven't said anything. I'm getting worried. I know you don't talk much, but... Tia begins to muster the courage to tell her friend how much she's struggling, but a man on horseback distracts her. He's riding his horse near the bayfront connector, a heavily trafficked area, and this makes Tia gasp. (laughs) Kiki sees the frightened look on Tia's face and turns around. Kiki doesn't see anything. What? Tia! What's wrong? Tia furrows her eyebrows, looking from Kiki to the man on horseback. Are you serious? You don't see him? See who? Kiki asks, frustrated. The man on the horse, Tia replies. Kiki's eyes glance to the side before glaring at her best friend. T, you're starting to scare me. As Tia watches the man on horseback, he fades into nothingness as quickly as he had appeared. What the fuck is wrong wrong with me? me? Tia ponders. Kiki, do you think I'm sick? Kiki shakes her head. Of course not. You just lost your mom. You know, I was going to tell you, I really miss her too. I wish my mom was more like her. I've been thinking about your mom all the time. Tia can feel herself becoming emotional, so she gestures for Kiki to keep following her, not wanting to have this discussion yet. Fearing she's really losing her mind, Tia walks a lot faster than normal, Kiki has to jog to keep up with her. By the time they reach the lakefront, Kiki is out of breath. Girl, wow, Kiki says between huffs. The sky above the lake is still cloudy, making the lake water look dark, almost a menacing blue. Tia is about to say something when an enormous, older-looking ship appears only miles away from the shore. Holy shit, that boat looks haunted, Tia remarks. Kiki looks all around. What boat? You playing with me? Tia turns to Kiki. No, don't you see it? It's taking up the entire lake. Kiki continues to look carefully, unable to see what her friend is talking about. T, maybe you are sick. You feeling okay? Kiki reaches her hand out and feels Tia's forehead. Tia stands still, deeply confused. So, you honestly don't see the giant ship, right? Tia stops. The ship was gone as if it had disappeared into thin air. I think... maybe I need some rest. Tia informs Kiki, feeling queasy and faint. Kiki is at her friend's side in a second, ready to help her walk back to her house. The entire way home from the railroad tracks, Ryo feels like her mind and body are in some sort of daze. She doesn't feel well, and she worries she's going to be sick. As soon as she gets home, she gulps down a glass of cold water and plops onto the couch. She looks at her phone and sees it's almost 7 in the morning. She wants to call Anita, knowing that she'd probably be up at this hour. Anita works at Willowbrook, one of the local animal clinics as a veterinary assistant. What would I even say? Hey, I feel so lonely living in our trailer by myself that I wanted to get splattered by a train today. Yeah, that'd go over well, she thinks. I have to learn to be more independent. I'm off work today, but I have nothing to do. I wonder who's supposed to work today. If it's Darren, he probably won't show up anyway, and Hugh will need someone to cover. Okay, that settles it. I'll just go to work, pretend like nothing happened. It'll be nice to see Hugh. Thinking about Hugh causes Ryo to stand up and head to her room. She suddenly feels like changing her outfit. Something just feels wrong about wearing the same clothes she was planning to kill herself in. She picks out a new outfit for the day, then hops into the shower to try and scrub the shame and guilt away. In the shower, she can feel her face growing hot when she thinks of her and someone who looked an awful lot like Simon the Bond being intimate with each other. It felt so real. I've heard guys have wet dreams. Is that what that was? She wonders, finishing up in the shower. When she sees it's not even 9 a.m., she decides to turn on the TV. She flips around, skipping over the public access shows and sports stations. She's just as fast to flip through the C-SPAN channels, but something catches her attention. She stops surfing and lets one of the C-SPAN channels play. It's the usual congressional setting, outdated carpets and decor, people in business attire, all talking with that monotone public speaking voice, with an audience sitting somewhere off to the side looking bored out of their minds. But what makes Rio take pause at such a mundane channel is the fact the person speaking looks nothing like a person at all. Rio sits forward, her body alert. She watches as this thing continues to talk. She waits to see if anyone in the crowd is freaking out. There's no big breaking news announcement that we are not alone. She grabs her cell phone and searches for costumes or strange people currently on C-SPAN. She gets nowhere. She starts to flip around to different channels, and there are talk show hosts, a doctor on a public access channel, and a bunch of everyday people who no longer look like normal people. Rio didn't know what she was witnessing, but it was freaking her out. Am I suddenly in the movie They Live? Rio ponders with a shudder. She powers off the TV and decides she needs to clear her head. She hasn't felt right since this morning, and it's only gotten more eventful. A good good late late morning morning nap nap. is all I need, she thinks, pulling a blanket off of the couch and cozying up underneath it. The second she closes her eyes, images of these non-human-like creatures fill her head. She cries out, looking all around to make sure she's alone. While she doesn't know exactly what to call these freaky-looking people, she knows they do not appear to be of this world. For the rest of the day, Kiki stays with Tia. Kiki spends hours perfecting Tia's hair so their braids could match, all while playing dumb comedy movies in the background. Tia has always been a bit of a loner, but having Kiki around made her feel like things were going to be okay. Kiki? Yeah?
1: Would you want to move in?
0: Kiki glances over at Tia before pausing their current movie. Are you serious? Tia nods. I mean, you pretty much live here anyway, but
1: I thought we could make it official. Tia seems deep in thought before adding, It would mean a
0: lot to me. Kiki practically squeals as she embraces her best friend. Tia, I've been waiting a long time to hear this. Tia looks surprised. What? My house sucks. My family isn't the greatest, but here, with you, you know you're the perfect roommate, right? Now Tia's laughing at how excited Kiki is. What are you talking about? Kiki stands up and starts to walk around Tia in a circle while waving her hands around like crazy. You're smart. You're clean. You're quiet. You know, all the best qualities you'd want in a roommate. Tia plays along, folding her arms. You mean only want to move in because
1: I'm the perfect roommate? Not because we've been best friends since, like, the second grade. I get it. I'm a germaphobe. And you love that about me. Because it means... The house is always clean, and you don't have to worry about doing any of the cleaning.
0: When you put it like that, T, you make me look bad, Kiki jokes. Kiki holds out her hand to help her friend up. As soon as they're eye level, Kiki asks, where do I put my stuff? Tia knew there was a lot more to discuss with Kiki and their living situation, but she didn't have that kind of energy. Not today. As Kiki continues to rave about the two women living together, Tia's mind couldn't help but think back to her awkward Nobel Peace Prize speech and how vivid and real that dream was. As exhausted as she was, she needed to clear her head. Yesterday, all Tia could think about was her mother. She had memorized the exact location of the grave and wondered if it'd make her feel any better to go and try talking to her mom.
1: Hey, Kiki,
0: Tia says, interrupting Kiki's excited plans. Yeah?
1: I'm going to go see her.
0: Kiki stops moving and stares at her friend with great concern. You sure you're ready? Tia shakes her head.
1: I don't think I'll ever be ready, but I just want to talk to her. I want to tell her our good news. Mm, I don't know. I think she'd be happy for both of us. Every time something big happens, I still just want to tell her.
0: Kiki forces a smile, the tears visibly filling up her eyes. Yeah, I get it. I just, I don't know if I'm ready to see her yet. A lone tear escapes Kiki's eyes and she hurriedly wipes it away. Tia gives her friend a quick hug before heading towards the door.
1: I have promised to be back before dark. Then we can figure out how to decorate your room.
0: Through her sobs, Kiki nods. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love that. Kiki gives a quick wave before breaking down, Mrs. Johnson's death hitting her harder now than it did when she first got the news. Kiki's home life is fairly similar to Rio's. The two both grew up in homes where their parents never seemed to be around. Kiki's mother was an alcoholic, and her father had been absent from the picture since the beginning of her life as well. When Kiki was in the second grade, she met Tia for the first time. The two girls were thick as thieves, and Kiki felt like she was a big sister to her new best friend. Tia was always picked on in school because she loved to learn and asked a lot of questions. The other students didn't always appreciate her curious mind, especially as the two got older. But if anyone ever messed with Tia, then they were messing with Kiki. Kiki was a frequent visitor to the principal's office, and she pretty much lived in detention by the time they reached high school. Tia was kind and gentle, and Kiki had built a wall around herself that only a few people were lucky enough to climb over and see her for who she really was. Mrs. Johnson had been the mother she needed and wanted, and Mrs. Johnson truly did love Kiki, as if she was her daughter too. Whenever she got into serious trouble, it was Mrs. Johnson that came to her aid. Mrs. Johnson and Tia believed in Kiki. They were always so supportive and made sure she had hot meals and a safe place to sleep. Kiki's house was in a very bad part of town, where there was a shooting nearly every night. The Johnsons didn't live in a great neighborhood either, but it was safe enough where they didn't constantly live in fear. Neighbors looked out for each other here. And now Tia was opening up her doors and making it official. Kiki already had a house key and stayed with the Johnsons often, but today felt special— It was a milestone in both life and friendship. Now, the only thing Kiki had to worry about was keeping her greatest secret from her dearest friend. The Tia and Rio Show is created, written, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Julie McCormick. Rio, and all other voices that are not Tia are performed by Callie Oberlander. Sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My writing continuity checkers and biggest cheerleaders are Jules Johnson and Hilary Roback. And if you've made it this far, please remember, even in the darkest times, there is always hope.